Welcome back and welcome to our backstory conversation with playwright, actress, and storytelling, Vicki Uditz. Vicki, what a pleasure. That was just absolutely marvelous. Thank you so very much. Now, you've been introduced in, at other times as a born storyteller, and you've credited Spalding Gray as a key influencer, though he may not be known by all of our audience. So I wonder if you could, if we could, you know, just talk a little bit about how did you get started? How was Spalding Gray influential? And by the way, what is a born storyteller? Well, first, I, I think a born storyteller is a, a journalist kind of, a, right? Writing some nice, nice words. I, I don't know that I'm a, I'm, I'm not one of those people that, um, you know, some people say, oh, I, I started telling stories around the dining room table with my family or something. No, that, that really wasn't it. I was a more traditional actor and um, I lived in the West Village in Manhattan and I stumbled upon Spalding Gray. He, he was performing, he used to perform in the Worcester Group, Worcester Group Theater, uh, not far from where I lived. And I just thought that was incredible. I really had never seen anything anything like that um and i i had to move kind of suddenly to los angeles and i um had been acting a lot of tv commercials and actually not doing as much theater anymore and i i got here and um just wasn't working at first and had a lot of free time and started like writing these stories out loud about about my life and someone invited me to a storytelling group um, and it became at that time, that's like 30 years ago. So it was, uh, kind of the secret club, if you will, of people who gathered, told mostly folk tales in those days, but I did take my inspiration from Spalding Gray and a couple of other people in LA who were doing personal tales. So it was a little bit of a survival thing at first, just how can I, how can I create something for myself when the universe wasn't giving me as much to do as it was, was once true. Uh, so, um, but I started to really love it. And, and now storytelling, of course, in LA is very common and there's all sorts of wonderful um, Zoom shows right now and hopefully soon some more live ones. <clears throat> Jonesboro, Tennessee is arguably the epicenter of storytelling. I had a chance to attend a couple of their uh, national festivals uh, many moons ago. You were a storyteller in residence at the National Festival. Could you tell us what is a storyteller in residence and what was that like and what did you, what did, you do? Oh, sure. Um, I did perform at the festival uh, in the regular October festival a couple of times where um, you have to do a lot of material in different stages, different lengths of stories and so forth. A couple hours, several hours of material, I guess. And uh, if you did okay at that, then you may get a little invitation to come and be an artist in residence. An artist in residence means you do five shows, one a day, each one's oh. an hour, and there can be no repetition of material. It was probably, David, one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> um, I think so. You know, because, um, you know, I, I, I do, um, I, I tell a lot of different types of stories, all different lengths and so forth, but to kind of just to fit it, just to get the themes and fit something into these one hour shows um, was kind of challenging. And to have to have that much material ready to go, it was 
it, it was it was a huge challenge. I don't know that I would do it again, but, but it, <laughs> it was huge. And uh, it was lovely. There's a beautiful theater there. So it's it's quite an opportunity, but um, for me, it is a huge challenge. I, I far prefer to have, a, a, you know, to have one, to be able to focus a little more and not have to do so much quantity at one time. I, I rather, I, I, I prefer that myself. In an interview on the ESME website, Empowering Solo Moms Everywhere, you describe your adult daughter as a singer-songwriter. And I believe that narrative poetry, storytelling, and song lyrics writing are, so to speak, three sides of the same coin. So I was wondering, do you and she collaborate? Do you cross-connect? Do you find any kind of relationship around storytelling between her songwriting and your storytelling? There's a lot there that you just asked me. Um, but of course, that's well, my job. <laughs> well, first of all, my my kids, since before they could walk, has been coming with me to see people tell stories, right? So they, um, my, my kid became very familiar with this art form at a young age. And um, I'm not that good with small kids, actually. My, my kid is wonderful. And my kids started doing some storytelling of fairy tales with puppets and all kinds of wonderful things when they were quite young. And later on, I will say this, um, that kind of went to the side. And then um, my, my kids, my late husband, my kid's dad died very suddenly. And my kid was already a musician, but it was after that time, David, that my kid just began to write song after song, just as you're saying, putting the art of storytelling into what they're a little bit closer to, which is music. They play guitar, bass, keys, they're singer. Uh, so I'm, I'm very proud of them about that, 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 that really, they created wonderful songs, David, and also um, it was a very healing experience for them. As for myself, uh, I also wrote a lot of stories about how uh, we survived that, that sudden uh, tragedy. But here's, here's a good, good kind of thing that just happened. Um, recently, there's, there's a live show that's reopened not far from where I live, and my kid and I were in the same bill. And my kid did a very funny, a very funny song and played bass. It, it was really, they loved her. They loved my kid. And then uh, I also did a story. And then uh, just a couple nights ago, I did a story about house sitting for my kid and how I'm a super helicopter mom. And, and my kid was in the audience. My kid had knew the stories. So yes, <laughs> my kid could not avoid storytelling has created her own wonderful, their own wonderful uh, art form. Uh, and we've even performed together. In a whole different direction, uh, you indicated that you were raised German Lutheran and converted to Judaism as an adult and then created a one woman show about that, the um, story about your journey, journey to Judaism as an adult. Mm -hmm. uh, rabbis have been <clears throat> conveying Judaism by storytelling for millennia. And I wondered if becoming Jewish or in a sense re-becoming Jewish influences your storytelling in any way. Um, I, it, it influences, I guess, in this way, David, it took me many years, many different types of classes and teachers to actually get to the place where I went to the mikvah, the pool of water, and was quote unquote reborn and became became Jewish. Um, so, 
so that journey was very important. That's, you know, that's what I wrote about in that show and how I felt that really my, I had been Jewish all along. My last name is Yudits. Yuda means Jew. So I felt in some way that it was, it was really coming home. And that's how oftentimes people within the faith are thought of that become Jewish, that they're coming, they're coming home. So I don't know if I would say that I'm a storyteller in the, in the way that rabbis are. I mean, often those are very, um, well, sometimes rabbis tell true life stories, but often they're from history, right? Or from folklore. And that, that is not what I do. However, I certainly feel that there are a number of my stories that center around um, a Jewish life cycle event, um, one of the holidays, or uh, some of the rituals after my husband passed away. Those have become very integral to some of my stories. Wow. Now, when you go about crafting a story, uh, does it vary depending on the kind of story that you're telling? Uh, do you write stories? Do you memorize stories? We're, we're always interested in sort of looking behind the curtain of, uh, at storytelling. So could you share with us a little bit about your process? Yeah. For the most part, I do write them. And I, go, I, I practice them enough that they become memorized. And I think that's just my background as an actor. That's what I was used to. They, they're more monologues for me in my head. Once in a while, I will just tell something if it's uh, maybe seems more appropriate. And how I start is that, you know, something will happen. You know, I, for instance, I, I went for what I thought was a routine sleep apnea test and it turned into this nightmare. <laughs> and the person <laughs> was so perfect, David, because the person running the test was such a character. It was like a gift. It was this man was giving me a very funny right. story. Uh, and then as I really thought of it, and I wrote down the notes about what had happened, I thought, oh, this is a little bit bigger meaning too, because it's, it's how I myself often put up with things that that I that I think are uncomfortable or even scary, and I I just am too embarrassed or too afraid to say I'm done, I'm out of here. I just kind of put my nose to the grindstone and keep going. So it, it's sort of an ordinary experience. Had a great character, and then as I really thought about it, it had a little bit deeper meaning. And even the story I did today, um, I think it's it's funny about the raccoons and everything, but I also think it has a lot to do with me being alone at this time in my life. I'm 64. I didn't really expect to be alone. I, you know, and my, my kid and I are very close and they're on their own journey. So I think it has the bigger pictures has things to do with that. And, um, you know, trying to, especially during this pandemic, find meaning and solace and hope in my life. Well, as a retired Unitarian Universalist minister, I, I tend to believe that, I tend to believe, I feel fairly strongly that stories have a strong potential for healing, but it depends to a degree on the storyteller's willingness to be vulnerable. And I think that's one of the remarkable things about your approach. You somehow combine humor and vulnerability and, uh, and allow us to see sort of the larger the shape of the larger picture. Uh, final question uh, is always about the storytelling process. And in listening and watching several of your stories, I noticed that sometimes, not always, but sometimes you have a very fast, almost sudden close. And I wonder <laughs> if you could talk just a little bit about your approach to closing a story. Well, 
I think that the simple answer, David, is when the story's over, it's over. Well, but I also mean that by this, I mean, but also I mean this is that I feel it's my job to guide you along on the journey of the story. So by the time I get to the end, I shouldn't have to explain anything, right? But hopefully you've gotten all the pieces during the journey to the end and it's there. And once we're there, I think on to the next and leave you wanting more. Well, on that note, we'll thank you for the journey of our backstory conversation. This does bring us to the end of our conversation. Thank you, Vicki, so much. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of our program. Thanks again to our True Tales Live crew. Our next show, as Amy mentioned, is May 31st, 7 to 8.15 on the theme, One Thing Leads to Another. Our next workshop is next Tuesday from 7 to 8.30. You can sign up online. And you can next see Vicki online at the Toronto International Storytelling Festival, May 6th in the Talking Stick and May 8th in. But that's another story. To learn more about our programs, browse to truetaleslivenh.org. In his book, Story, Substance, Structure, Style, and the Principles of Screenwriting, Robert McKee writes, when we want mood experiences, we go to concerts or museums. When we want meaningful, emotional experience, we go to the storyteller. That's our program for tonight. Thanks to our tellers and our crew and you. My name is David Frainer. Good night.